Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. What a time of celebration, right? Thank you, Lord. My thanks to Zach and our worship team for leading us to the very throne of grace as we worship in song. And now let's worship in the word of God, shall we? The title for today's message is How to Abound in Hope. Our scripture passage for today will be found in the book of Romans. We'll begin in chapter 5. And if I were to give this message a secondary title, it, would, it might be called Dealing with Discouragement, or I might call it Making Sense of Our Suffering. Let me do a poll this morning. I want to ask you a question. I think this results will be revealing. And here's the question. How many of you have experienced a significant season of discouragement in your life? Can I see your hands? I think discouragement is a common experience in life. And it comes in a lot of different venues, does it not? There was an older gentleman out for a walk one day, and he happened upon a baseball field. There was a Little League game going on, and he walked up to the dugout because the boys were about his grandson's age, and he asked one of the boys there, he said, son, hey, son, what's the score? And the boy replied, well, it's 17 to nothing, and we're behind. <laughs> so the man looked down and said, well, son, I bet you're discouraged. And he said, no, sir, I'm not discouraged. Why would I be discouraged? We haven't come up to bat yet. <laughs> hey, in the 8 o'clock, it, it must have been my delivery because there were crickets at that. I mean, that was it. And actually, Sean, my encourager, said, hey, it's just the way you delivered it, Pastor Mike. You don't know how to deliver it. I thought, give me some clues, right? <laughs> I love that story. Why? Because you're going to see today in the Scripture what that little kid reflected was a way of looking at an experience that led him to conclude, even with the dire circumstances that surrounded, there was still hope. There was still a future. They hadn't even come up to bat yet. But you know what the truth is? The truth is we often experience discouragement at a deeper level than that. There's an apocryphal story I've heard. It's fictitious, but it's revealing. It seems that our spiritual enemy, our adversary, Satan, was going to put up all of his tools for sale. And so the story goes. And on the date of the sale, all the tools were placed out for public inspection. Each was marked with a label and an asking price. It was a treacherous lot of tools. There was hatred, envy, jealousy, gossip, lying, pride, and on, and on, and on. But laid apart from all the rest of the tools was this harmless-looking tool. It was well-worn, but its price was exorbitant. It was really high. 
And so one of the purchasers, and it wasn't labeled, so one of the purchasers asked the adversary, what's the name of that tool? And Satan said, well, that's discouragement. And the purchaser asked, why have you priced discouragement so high? And I don't want you to miss what the enemy said. He said, because it's more useful to me than the others. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with this tool. And when I can't get near him with any of the other tools, I can get in with discouragement. And once I get inside, I can get him to do what I choose. That's a badly worn tool, Satan said, because I use it on everyone. He said, since few people know that it belongs to me. Satan's price for discouragement was so high, the story says that he never sold it, and it's still his major tool, and he uses it on God's people, and maybe he's using it on you today in this room. You may have come to this room discouraged with great loss and suffering. And so how do you deal How do we deal with discouragement, especially the kind of deep discouragement that can debilitate us, that can cripple us in our daily walk? How do we deal with that? And oftentimes, discouragement is related to suffering and pain and great loss. And so the question is this, is there a possibility of having genuine, real genuine hope, and even to abound in hope? Beloved, I want to say to you this morning that the Scripture will answer, and the Gospel will answer, and the answer will be a resounding yes. There is a pathway to hope. So the place I want us to start in Scripture is found in Romans chapter 5. If you turn your Bibles there with me, we'll begin in verses 1. If you're able, I would like to invite you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. We'll begin with verse 1. Paul says, therefore, and I'll circle back to that, the meaning of that, why he started that, this chapter with that word in a moment. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for the reading, the hearing, 
the teaching, the heralding, the understanding, the application of your God-breathed, timeless word. We ask you today to bless that word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before Paul gets into this message of hope that we find here in this fifth chapter, when he says, therefore, what he's saying is, I want to conclude the, uh, uh, the first four chapters, and, and it's in your notes. If you're a note taker, it's in the first three notes. There's three summary truths that Paul is saying that I want to give to you. And these summary truths are foundational in their nature, and they actually lead to a basis of why we can even say we can abound in hope. And here they are. Here's the first one. It's in your notes. He says, Paul says, and he argues that we are declared right with God. Right with God. How? By trusting Jesus and not by the works that we do. In other words, what Paul is saying, the way we gain right standing with God, legal standing, being in fellowship with him, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by our own efforts. And the second truth, as this passage teaches, is that by trusting Christ, we have peace with God. What does it mean to have peace with God? Well, it means that we're no longer under his judgment. It means we are no longer under his wrath. And I really thought that would get a great amen this morning. Aren't you glad that we're not under his wrath for those of us that follow Christ? It means our relationship with God has been reconciled. We've been reconciled to him. We're at peace with him. And that peace, brothers and sisters, comes the moment that we believe. And then here's the third truth, that by trusting Christ, we stand. It means that we live. We are positionally in a place of grace. A place of grace before God. We are recipients of ongoing unmerited favor from God. Aren't we glad? So it's on the basis of those three truths that Paul summarizes in the first two verses of the fifth chapter. Then he brings us this message, this theme of hope. So if you and I want to abound in hope, here are some things. There are eight things in your notes that this passage teaches us, there's some connections. Here's the first one. If you want to abound in hope, this passage teaches us, I should expect, and you should expect, to suffer. You should expect to suffer. You see that in the first part of verse 3? Paul says not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. He just speaks matter of fact about this. He says, we're all going to suffer in this life. A better translation of suffering would be the word tribulation. And actually, it has this idea of being under great pressure. What was happening contemporaneously was when they would squeeze the olive to get the first press of olive oil, it would put, put the olives under great pressure. That's what he's talking about here. That we're all going to have that kind of pressure, that we're being squeezed. And then he says we're to rejoice. 
When that happens, rejoice means to have a big party. Why is that important? If you and I approach life, the Christian life, thinking that it's all going to be smooth, there won't be great loss, there won't be trials that we can't overcome, there will be no losses, guess what? When those things come, when that pressure comes, when the trial that seems insurmountable, when the loss that you can't even express, if you think that's what your life will be, you'll be disappointed. You'll be discouraged. I love what the great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says. It's on your screen. He said, there's no grosser or greater misrepresentation of the Christian message than that which depicts it as offering a life of ease with no battle and struggle at all. Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. So we need to back up and say, God has revealed in his word that we live in a fallen, broken world. This is not the world he created. It's not the world that's yet to come. In this world, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be great pressure. And we're going to have to just be part of that and have to endure it. And then whenever suffering comes, whenever tribulation, whenever pressure comes my way, it doesn't knock me off my feet. It doesn't surprise me. It's, I just say, this is what I expect. And I'm on a journey to learn how to rejoice in that suffering and abound in hope. Here's the second thing, if you want to abound in hope. Not only should I expect to suffer, but I should allow my suffering to teach me to endure, to teach me to endure. The second part of verse 3, Paul says, knowing that our suffering has purpose, and one of its purposes is to produce in us endurance. Steadfastness is the idea. Perseverance. So in other words, our suffering is intended to produce in us that good quality called grit. Are you all familiar with that word, grit? What is it? It's the characteristic that's substantive and strong. It doesn't crumble. It doesn't wilt under pressure. It's not weak when the tough times come. Gritty people persevere. Gritty people endure. I believe Paul is saying to us today, He's saying, don't have an inflated sense of your own uniqueness. Don't have an unwarranted sense of entitlement. Don't be overly emotional. Don't be easily offended, unable to deal with opposition, criticism, or correction. I don't want you to crumble, Paul's saying, when difficulty comes. I want you to have grit. Instead, Expect to suffer. And when you suffer, by God's grace, endure with a kind of grit that's good for you and for the glory of God. 
Here's number three. The Apostle Paul teaches us in this passage that if we want to abound in hope, that we, as we persevere, we allow God to do some things in us, and here they are. I allow God to purify me. That's one of the purposes of suffering is to raise to the top the impurities in our life and to skim them off, to remove the things in us that displease God. I allow him to mature me. There's some growing towards maturity that can only happen through suffering, through pressure. And so God uses suffering to purify me, to mature me, and then also to deepen me. He doesn't want you and I to be superficial, shallow people. Oh, no, he wants us to be people who have depth and substance and faith and grit. And then finally, God uses our suffering to prove us, to prove the genuineness of our trust in him. We say, well, where do you see all that, Pastor? I don't see that. Well, it's in the word character. It's in that word character that we find in the first part of verse 4, where Paul says, an endurance produces character. That word character in English is the Greek word dokime. And it simply means this. It's the genuineness that comes from testing that proves the worth of something. You have proven character after you have endured the testing. In the trial. So when God allows us to suffer, to go through tribulation, to feel amazing pressure, intense pressure, he's up to something good. He's up to purifying, to maturing us, to deepening us, to prove the genuineness of our trust in him. And Paul goes on to say, in the last part of verse 4, he said, and that character that we just talked about, that produces hope. And so this is number four in your notes. That hope is built as Christ-like character is developed in us. My hope, hope is the confidence in God's promises still to be fulfilled in the future. My hope is strengthened. Hope is always in the future. It is what has not yet occurred. And my hope is strengthened as that kind of gritty character is produced in me. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts. So if you and I want hope to abound, this is number five. I lean into the personal experience of God's love. I lean into it. How do we avoid shame while going through intense pressure and suffering and discouragement? How do we avoid it? By leaning into God's love. The love that he pours out upon us lavishly. And that love will sustain us through those times. And it's a love, beloved, that never lets us go. 
Later on in this book, Paul writes about it this way. He asks a question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? He says, shall tribulation, there's that word, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And his conclusion is, no, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what your circumstances is. And by the way, Paul doesn't make the distinction here if this is tribulation or suffering caused by your actions or someone else. Nothing can separate us from his love. And then the last part of verse 5, he says, how does that love get lavished on us? It's through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. Do you remember Jesus' words when he told his disciples, it's good for you that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He is here and now. You're baptized once into him, but you're filled many times. And so because God's boundless love has been poured out upon us, look at verse 6. We yield to the control, number 6, excuse me. We yield to the control and filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the promised Holy Spirit's power that will sustain us, that will see us through. It's not our willpower. Our willpower, no matter how strong it may be, will only go so far. And then you'll crater. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that lavishes that love upon us, that sustains us through that season of discouragement and grief and loss. So Paul introduces this theme of hope in these first verses of chapter 5, but then let's run on to the end of, near the end of the book of chapter 15. This is where he wraps a bow around it. He draws a conclusion. Look at it with me. It's 15, chapter 15, verse 4. Paul says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So now watch this. Paul is getting to the how. He's getting to the how. How do you plug into God's hope? If you happen to have a paper copy of the Scriptures today, or one that glows, and you're able to underline something and circle something, do this. Circle the word instruction that we find there in verse 4, and endurance and encouragement. Circle those three words, please. And where does the instruction and the endurance and the encouragement come from? It comes from the Scriptures. And so if you want to abound in hope, here it is, number seven in your notes, immerse yourself in the Scripture. Scripture's unlike any other work of literature that you'll ever read. It's literally God-breathed. It cuts between our soul and our spirit. It pours into us and brings about correction and hope and encouragement and instruction. Day after day, after day after day, immerse yourself in the Scripture. And guess what will happen? You'll learn God's promises. You'll learn his truth. He will teach you how to live 
every day. He will tell you what to expect in your future. And that truth will begin to impact how you experience life right now. But it's not only the scriptures that give us hope. It's this number eight in your notes. If you want to abound in hope, increase your investment in relationships with other Christ followers in the church. Look at verses five and six. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. He's talking to believers here in accordance or accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The relationships we have within the body of Christ are intended to fuel our hope. Why? Because they're rooted in the truth. They're rooted in God's love. I love Max Lucado's story about participating in a half Ironman triathlon. Now it's been many years ago. He says, after the 1.2-mile swim and the 56-mile bike ride, did you guys hear what I said? <laughs> the 1.2-mile swim and 56 miles on a bike, he said that he didn't have much energy left for the third piece of that, which was the 13.1-mile run. No kidding, right? So as he began the run, he says, he fell alongside another fellow that was jogging next to him, and he asked the guy how he was doing, and soon he regretted asking that question. <laughs> the guy responded, doesn't this stink? This is the worst decision I've ever made in my life. <laughs> the guy had more complaints than a taxpayer at an IRS office. See, that didn't get a laugh at 8 o'clock at all. See, I think at 8 o'clock, what I need to do is put laugh now, like right here on the screen. They're, I don't know. They're a little slow on the uptake. I don't know. Is this, is this the ones that are being recorded? Probably isn't. I'm in trouble now. Max Lucado said, if I listened to this guy too long, I'd start agreeing with him. So he sped up and tried to run away from that dude. And as he sped up, he catches up with this 66-year-old grandmother. Now, let that sink in. He's behind the 66-year-old grandmother, right? He said her tone was just the opposite. He said, as I ran alongside her, she says, you'll finish this. I know it's hot, but at least it's not raining. One step at a time. Don't forget to hydrate. Drink plenty of liquid. Hang in there. You can make it. Max Lucado said, I ran next to her until my heart was lifted, but my legs were aching. <laughs> and I finally had to slow down. And as she ran on off, he said, no problem, and I waved, and she ran on into the future. Now watch this. You get the picture here? Who you run with 
listen, beloved, who you run with directly impacts your level of hope and encouragement. So here's my exhortation. Here's my encouragement to you, church, this morning. When you come here, look for others who who will rejoice when you rejoice and who will weep when you weep. Now's the season for us to, we're having an emphasis with small groups. Plug into a small group. Find that fellowship that fuels your hope. God intends for this church to be a place where hope is fueled by God's truth that brings encouragement to you and I. Are you that kind of person? Are you like that 66-year-old grandmother? If I were running with you, would my heart be lifted? I think we can summarize Paul's message, his theme in these chapters this way, that what we believe about our future completely controls how we experience our present. You see, we are irreducibly hope-based creatures. And so when our hope is strong, it not only ensures our future, but it impacts how we live right now. Let's take our cue from a guy named Edward Mote, a carpenter who in 1834 wrote these words, probably familiar to many of you. He said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let us pray. Father, thank you that our hope is found in your Son. Hope that's not based on circumstances or outcomes or doctor's diagnosis. Any other factor, our financial condition, none of that. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Lord, may we place our trust and faith and hope in you and your son, the solid rock. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed right now, please. Every eye closed. Please don't look around because I have a question for, for our family here together, our church family. And my question is this. What do you believe about your future? Are you in a season of great discouragement? Has the adversary, our enemy, used that tool, that well-worn, well-worn tool to pry into your heart with discouragement? Are you under great pressure, pressure that's so severe that you don't know if you'll make it? 
What I want to ask you to do is be so bold. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. No looking around. Would you, if that's you, would you please raise your hand because I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for every man and woman now at this place, that that's where they are. And King Jesus, we, we celebrate the truth, the reality that you come and meet us. You meet us right where we are. You know already what the circumstances are, what the, what the facts are, what each of these men and women are experiencing. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know you're here. We, we ask you to pour out the lavish love of Christ on each of these individuals. I pray that they would learn to lean into that. That lavish love that you've poured out, that they could abound in your hope. I pray for fellowship for them. But most of all, I ask, Lord, Remind them today in a visceral way the gift of your presence. Wrap them in your arms, please. Show them your love. You're the solid rock. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For over a thousand years, Lord's table was at the center of the worship experience of the church. And then through some unfortunate circumstances, it would no longer became the center. It was relegated to a secondary position, even a memorial. But I want to share with you as we prepare, as you prepare today to come and take the Lord's table, I want to share this with you that we've, we've worshiped in song. It's been amazing. The word of God is powerful. But when you come to this table, you are participating in the cup of blessing. You are participating in the body of Christ. It's more than a memorial. It's an intimate fellowship with Him. And so as you prepare to come, I, I have a warning for you. It's a warning from the Scripture. Paul says that we should discern the body of Christ. And I must confess to you that that's still a mystery to me. I'm a work in progress. What does that mean? It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that you're coming here that you're without sin. Because if that were the case, none of us could take it. Amen? Right? None of us could take it. No, but to discern his body. Think about what it was like for the sinless son of God, the one who was perfect in every way, the one who is even right now upholding the universe by the word of his power, the one who willingly set aside his life and died for you and I. Think about him as you come and take these elements. This centerpiece of our worship today, this encounter with the risen Lord, 
And then in a few moments, we'll take it together. Please come. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Is this not a participation in the body of Christ? Take and eat. Then he took the cup, the new covenant, the blood that he willingly shed for the payment of all our sins. And he said, drink, because of this, I've paid for your sin. Is this not a participation in the blood of Christ? Take it, drink. Let's worship together. The Apostle Paul wraps up his message of hope with these words to the church at Rome. And this, as, he, as he's prayed these words over that church, this is my prayer for you today, for, for us. And particularly if you were one of those that are in that season of discouragement, of great pressure, listen to these words for you. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, believing that he will see you through, believing that he will lavish his love out upon you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Believing so, he says, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Our pastor will be here with his wife. I'll be here at the front. If we can pray for you in any way, serve you, we, we would love to. And just beloved church, just know that you are loved. And God bless you today. You're dismissed.